This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Don't change that dial. It's time for Navigating the Newsroom. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Andrew. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to episode number 12 of Navigating the Newsroom. I'm Andrew Johnson, and this is the show on Film Geek Radio, devoted exclusively to discussion and analysis of the HBO series, The Newsroom. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, wait, the first season of The Newsroom is over. You already discussed the finale. What's happening? Well, this is actually a special bonus episode of the show for all of you people out there who just can't get enough of The Newsroom and want to keep talking about it. Fortunately, my co-host Andrew Robinson is not joining me today. This episode consists entirely of an interview I conducted with Dr. Robert Thompson. If you've listened to the show Cinema Fix on Film Geek Radio, you might remember him as one of the guests we had on our episode last February when we were discussing the Oscars. He is the founding director of the Blyard Center for Television and Popular Culture at Syracuse University. He's also a professor and the author of several books on TV and TV history, including Television Second Golden Age and Primetime Prime Movers. He has been called the most quoted man in America, and his commentary on all aspects of pop culture frequently appear in news media across the country. In short, he's a really smart guy who knows pretty much everything there is to know about television and pop culture, so I wanted to make sure to get his opinion on the newsroom and see how it lines up with some of what we've discussed on this show over the past few months. Full disclosure, I know Dr. Thompson. I've taken one of his classes, so you might hear a reference or two in the interview to certain things he has mentioned to me in the past about Sorkin and his work. Uh, You're going to hear us discuss many things that we've brought up here on Navigating the Newsroom, including Sorkin's depiction of women, the politics of the show, how the newsroom fits in with Sorkin's previous work, and a whole lot more. So I hope you enjoy Dr. Thompson and his commentary on the show. But before I play that, real quick, I have a few announcements to make. Although Navigating the Newsroom is finished for the time being, and this will be the last episode of the podcast, there are many other shows you should check out on Film Geek Radio. I will be covering the Toronto International Film Festival from September 6th through 16th, so be on the lookout for several articles and reviews from there on the website at filmgeekradio.com. After that, we will be resuming our weekly broadcast of Cinema Fix, which is the show on Film Geek Radio all about mainstream blockbuster films. So if you're interested in finding out about what's new at the movies every weekend, you should definitely check that out. I'm also going to be publishing several interviews with filmmakers over the next few months on the show Let's Get Real and really getting that show off the ground. So if you like interviews with people in the industry, uh, you should definitely listen to that. And we've got a few more shows in development that hopefully we'll be launching over the next month or so, but I can't really give any more details about those right now. But uh, there's, a, there's lots of good stuff coming out, so be sure to check iTunes and the website for the latest. All right, I think that'll do it. So without further ado, here is my interview with author and pop culture expert Robert Thompson on The Newsroom. I really wanted to have you on the show uh, to talk about The Newsroom because... Um, I know that we've spoken some about Sorkin and, and, and his previous work in the past, um, and I know that you show episodes of The West Wing in your class. How do you feel that the newsroom 
relates to his previous work? Well, there is no question that you can uh, see and hear the Aaron Sorkin fingerprints all over uh, 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 newsroom. I mean, uh, if you look at his, um, you know, most significant television work anyway, as being uh, uh, the half-hour uh, uh, show that was set in a sports television program, then The West Wing, and then Studio uh, 60, which was set in a late-night uh, comedy, uh, and now um, uh, this in a, in a 24-hour cable news channel. There, there is a sense that uh, he's really kind of covering all of these, uh, well, not all, but he's going through these visible American institutions, usually television uh, uh, and media-related. Uh, but, of course, uh, the West Wing was about the presidency, which would, one could argue is like one big four-year or maybe eight-year television show. That's a good point. I never thought of it quite like that. I know that Critics have had very, very mixed opinions about the newsroom, and a few critics have actually been quite vitriolic in, 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 in their response to the show. I get the impression, talking with you, that you quite like the show. Yeah, I do, and I think uh, some of the reasons that I really like it are some of the very same reasons that some critics really don't like it. I mean, uh, uh, the word self-righteous come up uh, a lot in the people that are uh, complaining uh, about it, and uh, uh, this, this certainly is a, a program that is uh, uh, self-righteous. It's, it's on the soapbox uh, a good portion of the time uh, the episodes are playing. I mean, this really is a kind of uh, uh, you know, advocacy uh, drama. Um, I happen to actually like that, the intense earnestness, uh, earnest to the point of naivete that has come out of uh, some of the best work, I think, uh, that Sorkin does. Um, I'm a real sucker for that stuff, and I think when it's done well, it can actually be quite uh, uh, inspiring and very compelling. But if you don't like that kind of thing, uh, it certainly gets delivered up in a very heavy uh, um, uh, dosage uh, on this uh, program. If you do like it, uh, it's one of the few places that that kind of story is still uh, uh, going on. There's times when I've watched uh, The West Wing and uh, now Newsroom where at, at times you get the sense that you're, you're watching something that comes out of the zeitgeist of a 1940s movie, not a uh, uh, television show from the new century. Well, I know Sorkin has said that, that he tends to be inspired by movies and, and shows from the, the 40s and the 50s, and he really likes the optimism inherent in, in shows and movies from that time. And it seems like in most of his shows, and to some extent in his films, there, there are always these very noble figures, yeah. you know, fighting the, the evil system or, or fighting bureaucracy and, you know, trying to affect change. But I think what, what many critics have disliked about the newsroom and, and what many feel has damned the show is the decision to set it in the recent past and to comment on actual events, which arguably takes the self-righteousness and, and, the, and the pretentiousness to another level. Right, and, and that that was a I'm, I'm, that was an important decision. I'm sure a difficult decision, 
and the decision as this show, uh, you know, it's been renewed, so they're going to make a new batch of episodes. It, it ended its final episode with its highest rating yet, 2.3 million, I think. And that may be a decision that becomes harder and harder to live with. How do you keep that whole six month or so um, uh, formula working? It was a really interesting decision. I mean, what, what the West Wing did, the West Wing starts when Clinton is still president. And it's about a Democratic uh, administration in the White House. But they're clearly not trying to do Bill Clinton. Uh, They're clearly trying to do somebody who, maybe Bill Clinton, if Monica Lewinsky and a whole bunch of other stuff had never happened. He's this kind of perfect president that we all wish uh, 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 we had. And that show certainly flitted around contemporary events and all the rest of it, uh, right to the extent that it did that quickly cobbled together 9-11 9-11 themed uh, uh, episode, right. but it was clear always that the Barton administration and that White House was taking place in some parallel universe. It was, it was different. That's not the case with the newsroom. What they did, they decided to do is this is a fictional 24-hour news channel, but as you point out, it's covering actual stories that actually happened. And it's just off, uh, you know, it's just off by a few months. Um, very odd decision. I actually think it, it, it works. I thought the uh, Gabriel Gifford episode kind of caught me by surprise. I didn't see it coming. That happened in a couple of other uh, uh, instances as well. And so they've gotten to deal with the Gifford shooting, uh, ousting of the uh, Egyptian president, the Fukushima nuclear disaster, uh, the debt ceiling crisis. But they're able to deal with these things after a little bit of time has allowed us to kind of rationally think about them. One of the complaints people have that happens in real 24-hour cable channels is this stuff is happening, people are commenting, it's all simultaneous, nobody has had a chance to think about it. I think a good artist who's going to write a drama about something wants this to be contemporary because it's after all about a 24-hour cable news channel where your subject matter is news. But contemporary enough that we it's all in the recent memory, uh, but at the same time far enough away that we've got a little perspective as to where, you know, where these things went and how they uh, uh, played out. I do have to say that the final episode, which goes after the Tea Party in some of the most politically aggressive television argumentation I've heard in a long time, especially in a fiction. Oh, absolutely. And again, that's another reason I think the show has been criticized, because it can get very political at times, and Sorkin's own biases clearly um, slip in. I'm not sure that's a problem, but some people would argue that it is. Yeah, I mean, in fiction, I think the, uh, the word bias we generally apply to uh, to journalism, where that's considered a, a bad thing. Most people, at least in the uh, traditions of the last hundred years or so, think journalism is best when it's trying to get to something uh, uh, approaching what we think of as the truth, and that uh, uh, we don't want it to be corrupted by biases in one direction or another. 
that has never been a, a sign of uh, quality for art. Some of the greatest art of all time is told very much from this point of view. And uh, the idea of being fair and balanced uh, is not something that, that great art aspires to the way great journalism might uh, um, aspire to. It, it, I mean, clearly, Newsroom has got a didactic quality to it. It can be really preachy, and there is no question you know, where it's coming from. Even though Sorkin did, I think, in a cagey manner, choose to make his main character a Republican. Right. And at times you're thinking uh, he's really, or maybe he still calls himself a Republican, but he's really not. But they actually really got into that uh, in the final episode in some detail. And that's the other thing is that it's doing all this stuff, but it's doing it in such a delightfully literary quality. I mean, Yes, it's about this Don Quixote type of character, like all these other Sorkin uh, uh, shows have been about. But being a Sorkin show, they actually have big chunks of dialogue about the characters from Don Quixote and from Camelot and from all of these other places. There is a, a sense of cultural richness. News, Newsroom is one of those shows that make having a good liberal arts education come in handy because you need a good liberal arts education uh, to understand half of the references in that show. Oh yeah, every episode it seems like there's half a dozen to a dozen uh, references to, to literature or art or pop culture. But getting back to the, the politics of the show, I, f I find it interesting that you know if you look back at a show like The West Wing... That was a show that, while politically speaking, you know, it, it arguably leaned towards the left, it still managed to acknowledge that, you know, there are some good Republicans out there. And there, there are Republicans who are able to set aside their political differences and work for the good of the country. In the newsroom, it seems like Sorkin has almost kind of given up on that idea, where Will McAvoy is almost like this last bastion of hope for the Republican Party. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not sure if that's because Sorkin has changed or because the world has changed. Yeah, well, I, I think you lay out a really interesting um, uh, question. So you're right. New, uh, Will McAvoy is this uh, uh, Republican, and he really makes a point of, especially in the final episode, but this was in some of the other ones as, as well, making the, the point that the Republican Party that he was a part of and that he thinks is still the Republican Party has been hijacked by this much smaller splinter of it, uh, which, and then he goes on in some really vitriolic language in the final episode that, you know, people who hate government and all of this uh, kind of thing. So I, I, I don't know. It, it's, I think part of it is that when, when Sorkin created the characters for the West Wing, it was still the 90s. Um, I mean, this was not maybe chronologically that long ago, but uh, given the sort of soul of America, this seems like, you know, centuries ago, practically. Lots and lots have, uh, of things have happened. So in the West Wing, he creates that in the 1990s where there is still, I think, this sense of uh, a, an optimism that seems completely realizable, whereas the newsroom not only is uh, created in the uh, second decade of the 21st century, lots of things have uh, happened, but it's set right in the heart of 24-hour cable news, which is the place, many argue, 
where all of this vitriol kind of first cult was cultivated and uh, uh, allowed to boil over and all of the rest of it. So it's almost like, I, I don't know, I think it would be hard to do a credible show about 24-hour cable without that kind of vitriol being, you know, uh, one of the things that lubricates the very stories that get told every day. Well, I also think it might be difficult to make a show about politics. I mean, I, I recently went back and rewatched the first four seasons of The West Wing, and I found myself thinking, you know, if Sorkin decided one day, oh, I, I, I really want to remake The West Wing today, how would the show be different? And I think that I, I'm not sure you could make a show like The West Wing today. <laughs> well, that's interesting, yeah. Well, you could do it, I suppose you'd have a number of choices. You could just do it the way you did it the first time, and it would be a complete and total fantasy. Um, which to some extent it was the first time around. Or you could try to somehow do the West Wing where it resembled more Washington and federal politics today, and then you're right. I think it would be a very, very different kind of show. Yeah, I think it would. You know, you've brought up how there are certain things that Sorkin keeps revisiting in all of his shows, I, I know you've, I'm pretty sure you've seen that video that circulated on YouTube. Yeah, right. All his repeated, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the Sorkinisms. Do you think that Sorkin is an inherently lazy writer, or are these just common things and themes that he's drawn to? Yeah, okay. First of all, to answer the first question of being a lazy writer, I would give that an emphatic no. Of the ten episodes of Newsroom, nine of them have Sorkin listed as the single writer, and the tenth one, which is episode three, uh, has Sorkin as the co-writer with one other person. So uh, I guess by, that, by, by those numbers, he wrote 9.5 of the ten episodes uh, <laughs> uh, out there. And I'm sure every single... Uh, uh, and then you go back to West Wing, and you look at how many... Uh, shows that he wrote and the entire time he was there uh, obviously every script probably went through his typewriter uh, uh, at least once or whatever he uh, writes on. So no, he's an extraordinarily prolific, very few people, there are others like him, but very few people have that kind of writing control. So I don't think he's lazy. Does he reuse a number of uh, uh, figures of speech and idiomatic phrases and metaphors and uh, all the rest of it. Uh, Yes, he does. And by the way, whoever put that uh, YouTube video together, that was a very scholarly act. I mean, that was was an incredible bit of research. Right. Gathering all those things together, uh, uh, I found that a breathtaking video. So all you got to do is watch that to demonstrate that he does use that. But again, I don't think for a writer that's a bad thing. I think you could probably point to most novelists or most people in any medium, and there are probably six or seven things that they keep revisiting and going back to. It's one of the things that gives you a, you know, kind of a, a signature. And uh, even in the case of uh, using direct things, uh, Shakespeare, we can find uh, uh, certain uh, quotes from Shakespeare that are almost word for word. I think it's, what is it, uh, where is the light that laid I led, something like that, is part of, uh, oh, what is it, maybe Taming of the Shrew, and I think it's also in one of the Henry IV uh, uh, plays. So it's, I don't see, for one thing, plagiarizing from yourself when you're a fictional artist is a lot different than if you're ripping it off from other people. And I think actually it's, it's, it's how Sorkin keeps telling these Sorkin-esque stories. And let's face it, a lot of people never saw Sports Night. 
And right. those stories kind of got repositioned in a political context in West Wing. And a lot of people who are watching Newsroom, by the way, my freshman this year, these are 17, 18, 19-year-olds, love Newsroom. I was really quite surprised. Uh, it didn't strike me as something uh, aimed at that age group. Uh, but anyway, a lot of them have never seen the West Wings. And now those ideas get re framed in a different sort of context. So I don't have a problem with that. And I don't find when I watch these shows that I'm thinking, oh, I've heard this before. Oh, not this trick again. Uh, I think when he reuses his stuff, he reuses it pretty effectively. But if you're one of these people that can't, because Sorkin has, you can, you can hear Sorkin dialogue from 10 miles away. I mean, it is so right. distinctive. And if it, if that kind of dialogue drives you crazy, there's no way you can like these shows because they they are that kind of dialogue. And if you don't like it, it's there's no escaping it. Right. I mean, there's no doubt when I'm watching the newsroom that it, that it is a Sorkin show. That's and right. I, I think the main difference between the newsroom and his previous television work is just the fact that it's on HBO. And I, sometimes I, I find myself thinking, you know, why is this on HBO? It almost feels like the kind of thing that should be on ABC or, or NBC. Other than a few curse words, is there really any reason it, it should be on HBO versus one of the, the, the other broadcast networks? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think it would have been a comparatively easy step to uh, make this, you know, uh, play on NBC or ABC or Fox or uh, something like that. And you're right, except for a couple of uh, words, there's very little that happens on it. There's romances going on, but people aren't getting naked or anything like that. I had always said that I thought The West Wing was like the perfect series for network in the age of cable. Because once cable came along, you know, the cop shows could just be done so much more effectively on shows like The Wire and that kind of thing. Uh, for, and, and forget about uh, mobster shows. I mean, The Sopranos could do things that, that a network couldn't even come close to doing. But Sorkin stuff, and The West Wing was a good example, I think was probably a better show because it played on NBC than if it would have been on HBO. Because if it had been on HBO, they'd have been able to expand their language and whatever. And in some ways, I think the way the West Wing didn't have those freedoms really made it an extraordinarily interesting show. I think the same may be true. You're right. I think this could have played on the uh, network. And maybe Sorkin just wanted to, uh, uh, to, to get a show on HBO because it's like what every creative used to be. Everybody wanted to go to Hollywood and direct. Now directors really dream of getting shows on HBO. But... After I watched that final episode, I began to think, okay, maybe it's not just the F words that kept this off network. Right. Um, because that last episode was really, really aggressive. And networks who don't want to offend anybody, including advertisers and the people that are going to complain to advertisers and all the rest of it, I've got a feeling may have had some problems with that. And then when I went back and looked at some of the other episodes, I think this is doing some stuff on HBO that a lot more subtly that it maybe couldn't have done on uh, the networks. And it may not be just the language, though on the surface, that's really appears to be the only thing that wouldn't work on a network. Yeah. I, I found myself thinking that the only other reason it couldn't have been on another channel is because of the overt political content and how, you know, some of these networks, um, will be broadcasting the Republican National Convention and, you know, they, they will be um, talking about a lot of these same events um, 
And so maybe they they would have shied away from it for political reasons. I I don't know. Yeah, and, and it's it's it does name names. I mean, we right. it doesn't fictionalize, and that that's what you pointed out. What's so different about this than uh, than the West Wing was the West Wing had a uh, a parallel universe cast of people. Uh, the people here, uh, except for the fictional main characters, but the people they're talking about and uh, uh, reporting on and everything are real people. And the clips we see of coverage of these people are actual real news clips. Right. Um, I, I don't know if that would have worked on another channel. I, I guess it seems to be working out pretty well for HBO. Their ratings have been pretty good for the show. Yeah. Now, of course, HBO doesn't care as much about specific ratings as right. the fact that their subscriber base doesn't churn and people keep coming. But yes, I think they're very happy with, uh, uh, if you break the 2 million mark on a uh, cable channel, that that's pretty much constitutes a hit. And they got up to 2.3 on their final episode. My biggest complaint is I don't think we, we see the next batch of episodes till June. So with these limited 10 episode um, uh, programs, there's, you know, a, what, nine, ten-month gap between uh, uh, between seasons. Right, but, I mean, that that's, seems to be how it is with most shows nowadays, whether it's AMC or Showtime or... Right, yeah, Sopranos went, went as long as 21 months. Right, these, yeah. right. Let, let me ask you, because if, if anyone knows this, you're likely to know it. It's been bothering me since the very first episode of The Newsroom. In The Newsroom, you've got... Jim Harper and Maggie and that relationship and I couldn't help but be reminded of the Jim Halpert and Pam relationship on the office. Yes. They even kind of look like each other. Right, right. And I, I was wondering is, is Sorkin deliberately trying to reference that or sub- subvert that trope? Well, whether he's doing it deliberately or not, he's obviously doing it. Uh, it, it may be unconscious, uh, but clearly I suspect he's seen The Office many times. Uh, uh, and there is a, uh, even in the casting, there's a little bit of, uh, uh, of that, the name similarity and all the rest of it. And we've got evidence that he is capable of playing that game within the, uh, uh, the newsroom itself. Uh, did you see all the Sex and the City references on the te- on the final episode? Right. Uh, she gets you know the bus comes by and gets her wet, and they, there's even a little uh, a little musical uh, motif from Sex and the City, uh, the opening theme song, uh, that pops up as well. So this is a TV show newsroom about a TV show, whatever their nightly cable news uh, program is called. And I suppose it makes sense that it would be filled with references to, you know, other TV shows as well. He doesn't do it to the extent that The Simpsons would do it or Family Guy or St. Elsewhere or something like that. Uh, But it certainly seems to be there. And uh, I, too, find that, uh, I mean, that relationship is immediately evocative uh, uh, of the one from the office. Uh, Right down to the extent of, you know, it gets frustrating. Why don't these two just get together already? It's like Tony and Angela from uh, Who's the Boss? I still don't understand why it was that they couldn't get together. They were already in the same house. <laughs> um, do, do you think that there's any thematic purpose behind it, or is he just referencing it just to have a little fun? And um, Well, it's, uh, obviously in that particular, the Sex and the City things were just, I think, little uh, right, little winks. Right. But, um, 
This is a serious, uh, you know, one of the serious storylines. We've been talking about all of these news references and Tea Party and uh, uh, all that kind of thing. Uh, what most of the time on newsroom is spent actually in these little soap opera romances, the one between Will and the uh, uh, producers become uh, uh, that's come back, and then these two that we're talking about now. It, it, this this is actually one of the soapiest of. Sorkin's uh, production. So, so I mean, maybe it's just that uh, that that office relationship was was a really good TV relationship. I mean, it was interesting. We cared. It was well handled, and it was very modern. Uh, you know, we go back a, a decade or two before that, and we kept having those will they or won't they relationships, like Sam and Diane on Cheers, and uh, uh, the main characters of Moonlighting, and all the rest of it. And the office seemed to put a kind of new new school. Uh, inflection onto that old thing, and maybe Sorkin is just kind of uh, using that because it worked. Right, and it, it seems like he visits that theme a lot um, in his shows. You know, when I'm watching the Will and McKinsey relationship on the newsroom, I kind of have flashbacks to the, the, the that main relationship on Studio 60 as right, well. Right, right. Let me let me ask you just just to wrap up here. Do you have like a favorite character or favorite element about the show, and and also what's your least favorite thing about the newsroom? Yeah, well, my favorite character is uh, is Will, and he's of course probably for the people who hate this show, he is their least favorite character. But just that this kind of cranky, flawed, whatever. But then you wind him up. And he's willing to, you know, he's, he immediately can go on one of these, uh, you know, one of these tirades that makes uh, Edward R. Murrow look like a pussycat. I find those tirades actually really quite fun, and I think that show is at its best when he's uh, when he's at his most self-righteous. And in the end, I think self-righteousness, if done well, can actually make for uh, really interesting um, drama. Worst, I, I don't know. I, I, now that the show is over, I actually really wish it wouldn't be so long before I could find out what happens to these characters uh, in their relationships. But I have to say, some of these, you know, uh, are they in love? Are they not in love? Will they get together? These little triangles and quadrangles and uh, uh, all the rest of it. At, at times, I can't wait till the next episode to see what's uh, happening. At times, though, some of those little precious relationships drive me absolutely crazy. <laughs> I, I know that a lot of critics um, have kind of jumped all over the show for its depiction of women um, and really kind of have hammered on that as, as the worst part of the show. Do you think there's any validity to those claims, or are, are they overreacting? Well, I think some of the people who have been making them uh, make some pretty convincing arguments. I mean, you, you can lay out uh, <clears throat> the women on that show, and you can lay out the kind of uh, character types they fall into, and it, it's not something I had noticed immediately when I, when I watched it, but I have read a number of uh, essayists and people who have uh, made that co- comment, and I, I think they make a pretty... Um, uh, strong argument. I think Sorkin probably could make a pretty strong counter uh, uh, to it as well, because in the end, this was kind of, and this isn't that extreme, but uh, the Ally McBeal problem, when that show first came out, on one level, she was this empowered, independent, uh, Harvard graduate, uh, uh, dressed however she felt like it, and all the rest. And on one level, she was the, you know, the ultimate modern woman. On another level, though, she wore those tiny uh, uh, little skirts. Uh, she was completely uh, emotionally tied to her old boyfriend. And, and the question was, was she 
a modern feminist, or what she is, the cover of one magazine said, a symbol of the death of feminism. And I think a lot of the women presentations in uh, Newsroom have a similar, have, have some of that Allie McBeal problem to them. They are, uh, a lot of them, almost to a, uh, to a fault, ditzy, uh, whatever, but at the same time, they're really brilliant and they've really got great credentials and uh, all the rest of it. There's a certain consistency there, though, that I guess is also part of that Sorkin fingerprint. Oh, so, so you would say that, that this depiction of women isn't anything new for Sorkin? Well, I don't know. I'm thinking back of some of the women on... Well, certainly you had, uh, obviously, the Alice and Janie character on uh, uh, West Wing. Right. I think a would be... Would, that'd be hard to argue against uh, uh, that portrayal. Uh, and, and he had a lot of strong even that what was her name Ainsley Ang- Ainsley Hayes and then there was there was Donna the secretary who was a little bit ditzy but still very capable but exactly um but then i think of studio 60 and i have to say i have not watched that all the way through since it uh, uh since it went on off the air but um i think there were some characters in there including the the lead character who had a little bit of that kind of quality as well. I think maybe part of it is attempt to take, I think the idea is you're putting these characters who are in these industries where they're kind of naturally dislikable. I mean, when you think about it, we distrust federal politicians. The West Wing took place in federal politics. Journalism is probably lower now than uh, uh, lawyers on the list of most despised professions (laughs) by a lot of people. And these are TV journalists uh, as well. And I think that part of it is you've got to, you want to make these people seem strong and capable and all the rest of it, but there's also an attempt to give them some vulnerability as well. And I guess that would be the only other defense I would give to it, though I do think this, I, I do think the portrayal of women have got some problematics here. Uh, but if you look at the men here, they also are, uh, you know, talented and uh, driven and all the rest of it, but they are in many ways just as ditzy and just as messed up. Right. I mean, the, the Will McAvoy himself uh, has uh, what he delivered one of the biggest stories of the um, uh, his career when he was high. Right. That that that's true. Getting getting back to your your point about journalists and journalism now being kind of equal equal to lawyers in terms of what people think of them. The presentation of journalism in the newsroom on a certain level, I really like it, and then on other levels, I th- I, I kind of wonder where Aaron Sorkin is coming from. Because as you know, as someone who works at the SI Newhouse School for Public Communications, that the, the big new thing now is new media and how social networking and social media and, 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 and all this new media is changing journalism and how things are reported. That doesn't really seem to be covered much in the newsroom. Well, and when it is, it's with great disdain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, and, on the, and on the one hand, I, I, I'm kind of glad that the show isn't getting bogged down by that. But on another hand, I kind of wish that it was a bit more realistic and a bit more yeah. up, to, up to speed. Right. Okay. Um, well, you're absolutely right. Everything you, you, you just said. And uh, I'm living in Syracuse, New York. We just found out this morning that our one daily newspaper uh, is now going to uh, publish print edition only three times a week, and the rest of it's going to be uh, uh, online. So absolutely, news is changing in fundamental and frightening uh, um, uh, kinds of ways. I have to confess, one of the things, I hadn't thought about this before, but when you brought it up, one of the things I have loved most, my favorite moments of this show, is 
when usually Will goes off on one of these benders about, you know, shut up about the new media kind of thing. <laughs> and as someone, you're right, I'm in a journalism school and everybody has jumped on me. You know, you, you talk about new media and they begin to vibrate and genuflect and all the rest of it. And in, in so many ways, in such a boosterism and cheerleading sort of way, that they've actually forgotten that in their in their obsession with how different distribution is based on the new media, they've forgotten the big chunk of the iceberg that still requires people to be intelligent and gather information and be good reporters and uh, write well and all the rest of it. In, in an odd sort of way, you're right. The newsroom is so incredibly old-fashioned in that term because so much of it isn't there. And I think that is probably a very conscious uh, effort. This is about... You know, Will, who's kind of an old school guy who sort of started phoning it in, and then this new producer comes back and recharges him. What was the name of the episode two? Uh, Newsnight 2.0 or whatever. And it's one thing to recharge the old Cronkite-esque guy, but it's another thing to teach him all the new tricks. And what he exposes about the weaknesses of the new tricks I think are sometimes most the, the most delightful uh, uh, things at all. The complaints about comments. Uh, what was that episode? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, right, you, right, and the whole thing with the death threat and all that. Yeah, and goes into this big long thing about why should we should care about what these people are commenting. And as old fashioned as that was, and as crotchety old man as it was, there was a lot of real truth in some of what he was saying. Right. I, I think what it boils down to is, you know, it, it seems like the newsroom has, Sorkin has these big aspirations and these, these big ambitions, and he really wants to critique certain changes that have happened to media over the course of the past uh, few years. But at the same time, by not really focusing on new media, it, it, how realistic is it? You know? Yeah, and no, I, I see exactly what you're saying. I mean, right, there is an underlying sense that you think that what this show would really like, what, what the, the, the soul of this show really wants to be is uh, CBS News in about 1952 and 3 when Fred Friendly was uh, executive producer and Ed Murrow was doing his uh, uh, documentaries about McCarthy. Right. I, I think so. I think there's, in many ways, there's this interesting contrast between what Sorkin seems to want to, to do with the show versus what the show is actually portrayed. And it's, a, it's an enjoyable show to watch, but it, it's a very interesting dichotomy there at times. Yeah, it is by far his most kind of complicated, of all his major shows, this one has got the most moving parts. It's the most... Uh, uh, you know, if, if if his other shows were like a chess game, these are like a three-dimensional chess game. There is a lot going on, most of which we talked about, but this this six-month-ago time delay and these kind of disjointed uh, 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 visions between the artist making the show and the show itself and the real world and all the rest of it. There's a lot going on uh, here. And I have to say, over the course of 10 episodes, what, 10 hours, maybe the first one was a little longer, 10 and a half hours, they've done an awful lot. I mean, this is less than half a season of a regular TV show. Right. It, it's, it certainly is. Um, I know that you'll be tuning into season two, as will I. Um, before I let you go, I want to ask, you know, now that the newsroom is going off the air and so is Breaking Bad and, and a few other really popular shows. What are you looking forward to 
this fall? What will you be watching? Are there any returning shows or any new shows that you think our listeners should tune into? Well, it's, uh, you, you just named my, some of my favorite shows, which are all ending uh, uh, at the same time. As far as the fall things, I wait till I see them because uh, by description, it's really hard to, uh, um, uh, to make a decision. It's strange because this used to be the busiest part of my uh, uh, life was the fall season when all the new shows were uh, starting. In, in a strange way, with all of these other big important shows ending at the same time, I almost feel like September and October are going to be kind of a break to catch up with all the stuff that I've got stacked up on my DVRs. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. So, so there's nothing really new that you're looking forward to. Well, there's, I mean, there's a, a lot of new, uh, obviously the networks are still uh, introducing most of their new shows right. in uh, uh, the fall. This, uh, what is it, NBC's Revolution looks really cool in the uh, promos and uh, uh, that kind of thing. But, you know, there's also a sense, I've got to obviously watch all this stuff because it's my job. But there's, there's also now with all these serialized things, it, it's like you, you almost are afraid to commit to relationships with certain of these shows. I really got into the event. Uh, which was what oh, last right. season, the season before, yeah. and uh, then of course it, it it was a serialized program. Its chances of survival were slim. It didn't survive. I think it's completely dead now. There was some talk of uh, bringing it back. Uh, anyway, so you, you know you commit to this long term relationship uh, to something that has no intention of marrying you. In <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. So now I have to go when I'm doing my you know my my watching that I have to do for a living. There's a sense that. Uh, uh, you know, one comes to it with, with a much kind of thicker skin now because there's so many of these, you know, these serialized programs. The whole, the fun of them is that you totally commit to the universe that's created. Breaking Bad is the perfect example. I mean, I've been watching that show from the beginning and that program has become one of the most compelling aesthetic experiences mm-hmm. of my life. And I've been to the Louvre and great, uh, uh, you know, the, the Acropolis and all these places where uh, wonderful stuff is. But that, that ongoing serialized thing in a show like that that can take its time telling the story it tells, it, it just keeps getting better and better and better. And uh, those are the kinds of things. Television is doing things now artistically that it hadn't even dreamed of back in what we used to call the golden age. Right. There, there's. It seems like there's so much good stuff out there, and who knows, maybe maybe there's good stuff on the horizon. When I see the promos for Revolution, there's a part of me that thinks, oh, that could be really good, and there's another part of me that thinks, oh, it's just it's just another show that's trying to replace Lost and, and be the next Lost. That's exactly my response, and I break it down to, the first part of me is about 20%. The second part you mentioned <laughs> is about 80%. But Wrigley Field, with all of that uh, uh, growth over it, looks pretty cool. Right. We'll, we'll see. Maybe, maybe it'll be good. Who knows? Uh, but Dr. Thompson, thanks for talking with me. Um, it's, it's a pleasure. That was lots of fun. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, that was my interview with Dr. Robert Thompson. If you liked that, be sure to check out some of his books, such as Television, Second Golden Age, and Primetime Prime Movers. You can find those on Amazon and other online retailers. You can also find him popping up in newspapers and TV specials and any place where a TV and pop culture expert might need to be quoted. Be on the lookout. He's everywhere. As always, we would love to get your feedback on the show. We're not sure yet if we're going to be covering Season 2 of The Newsroom, so if you'd really like us to keep podcasting about it, or alternatively, if you don't want us to talk about it at all and you hated the show, 
email us at navigatingnewsroom at filmgeekradio.com and let us know. You can also review the show on iTunes. We really appreciate the feedback. Oh, and uh, if you have any suggestions for upcoming television shows, either new or returning, that you'd like us to cover on Film Geek Radio, please email me at andrew at filmgeekradio.com and let me know. Who knows, maybe we can produce a podcast all about it. You can find more of my writing at www.filmgeekradio.com and follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. Be sure to follow me for real-time updates from the Toronto International Film Festival over the next few weeks, and check the website for several reviews from that festival as well. You can also find my co-host Andrew Robinson's coverage from Toronto over at filmschoolrejects.com. All right, I think that will do it. I hope you've enjoyed these past 12 episodes of Navigating the Newsroom. I know I've enjoyed producing them and talking about the show every week. So go forth now into your daily lives, continue your mission to civilize, and speak truth to stupid. Good night and good luck. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!